Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. Look, um, I, um, growing up, I remember having um, like this dream as a young kid, you know, when I was riding my bike around, I just had this need deep down, like there's this huge need. It was a need for need for speed. I just had to go quick everywhere. I, was, I used to run all over the place. Like I never used to walk. I used to run and then I was on the bike. I'd ride the bike quick and then when we got cars, well, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I always thought I'd love to be a race car driver. You know, it's like this dream of like, oh, it'd be so cool to race cars. How fun would that be? And then in January, we went away for probably a first family holiday in, in for ages and ages and we went to Phillip Island. And at Phillip Island, there is a go-kart track. And all of a sudden, I've got this opportunity to live out my childhood dream of being a race car driver. And I jump on this go-kart, and I'm flying around. There's all these young guys, and, and I'm right up with the lead pack. Like, I'm right with them. And, and you'd be, like, you know, holding it in the corners and trying to get all the, the right laps and all the right lines. And little guys, young guys would be spinning off. It's like, ha, 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 you cooked that one. <laughs> I got this. Anyway... I was doing really well. And then something sort of hit me, something that I'd forgotten about, something that I've actually had my entire life that, that I sort of hadn't taken into account. That the reason that I'll never, ever, ever, ever make a good race car driver is I get violently car sick. <laughs> I found myself at Phillip Island right at the, within the first few cars, racing really competitively with a balaclava and a helmet going, mm, mm, with a white T-shirt, thinking, this is not going to go well. I actually pulled over. Like, I actually got off the track. I didn't even finish the race. My dream of being a race car driver destroyed. It's probably never going to be a reality anyway, but... Have you ever had a dream, something you thought you were going to achieve, something you were aspiring to, that you just had to lay down? It's never going to happen. It's, it's dead. It's gone. May not, may not even dead, but like it's dead and buried. It's finished. If you've ever had a dream, you had an aspiration, maybe something that God started in your life or something that you, you felt like you're on the right track, but it is being given up and it's dead. Then if God is in it, I want to say that there is absolutely hope for that, no matter how hopeless it seems. And today's message is all about that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us here this morning, whether in the building or online, that, that may be feeling like there is something that they once had, a hope, an aspiration, a relationship, a dream that is not just dead, but it's dead and buried. Lord, today, we want, if you are in it, may there be a seed of hope that would germinate into something amazing, that would glorify you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You see, the thing about when something's like, dead or burnt or finished 
is that sometimes it actually affects other things. We had this image last week that Anthony painted this picture of, of sort of a burnt forest. And I, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of seeing somewhere that it, like a, in the bush around Aussie, Australia especially, like where the Aussie bush has actually been burnt, burnt. Um, the Grampians burnt a few years back. And if you ever got to visit there, like everything's black, like the dirt is black, like everything's burnt. And, and what happens is if you touch anything, that, that, the blackness, the, the, the soot, the, the yuck, the, the dead stuff, just gets, is, is instantly transferred to your hand and your hand's just, just black with, with soot and charcoal. And then you, you try and dust it off and now you've got two <laughs> and then you, then you find your wife. <laughs> and, 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 and whatever you touch, like it, 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 just, it doesn't seem to even dilute. It just gets black. And then, then really the, the source of that, that blackness, that dead tree, doesn't really go away because all you have to do is touch it again. And, and sometimes if there's something that, that's dead in your life, sometimes it could be a, a dream. Maybe it's something even within your, your character, Something's taken root in your heart and, and you haven't been showing mercy or forgiveness or kindness and instead there's some selfishness, there's some resentment, there's some bitterness and, and sometimes like that tree that starts to affect other areas and everything you touch starts to die, starts to get tainted by that thing that is dead in your life. I wonder if there's something dead in your life or in mine that God needs to work on? Chances are, there is. Because, hey, we're all on this journey and we can all do better. Yes, we have Christ, those that have been saved have Christ in us. But discipleship means, hey, there's always work to be done. Anthony last week spoke of this in the midst of something that was dead and he was talking about the nation of Israel that was cut down, just like these stumps and, and the whole tree, the whole nation, this, this mighty empire, this mighty people of God are just left, just decimated, dead, destroyed, finished. He said, but there's this little bit of hope, this little shoot, this little seed that, that starts to shine up. Well, today as we continue in the book of, of Isaiah, we read, we're going to focus primarily in, in Isaiah chapter 11 today. And we start off where sort of Anthony left off with this idea of this shoot, this little seed, this little glimmer of hope. And Isaiah 11 sort of pulls that apart and expands on, on what it is and why it is and what it's going to look like. We read in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, it says, And a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from this shoot a branch that will bear fruit. Now, I've got a trick question for you, so hear the trick. Trick question. If I've got an apple tree, what is the purpose of an apple tree? To grow apples, right? Remember, it's a trick question. It's the trick bit. You think that the purpose of an apple tree is to grow apples, but actually the purpose of an apple tree is to grow apple trees. Because the, the fruit in and of itself is good, so you're correct, like it does, but the fruit also has a purpose. Like, yes, we can eat it, but those seeds are designed to, to grow more 
apples. Apple trees make apple trees. The, the reason we see that the idea of fruit in the Bible is because fruit makes fruit. Disciples make disciples. Followers of Jesus make followers of Jesus. It's not just an isolate. It's not like, here's the fruit. It's something that will continue and keep going. So those that said apples, good job. Well done. You're not wrong. It's all good. We had, we had a neighbor one time, sidetracked already. We had a neighbor who had an orange tree and the cockies would get into the, the orange tree and grab all the oranges and, and fly off with them. And there was a season every year where you'd just be sitting at home and all of a sudden, poof, this massive sound on the roof as oranges would land on the roof. It was like horrific noise. It's kind of like, ah, oh, the sky's falling. And then the kids were young and they'd be like, hey, there's oranges on the ground. Oh, God. <laughs> ah. yeah. Orange trees make orange trees. Apple trees make apple trees. To, to understand a little bit about um, what this shoot of Jesse is, we're going to just dive into scripture a little bit more and have a look around what this actual means. Actually, means in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see Jesse's son is this guy, this young boy called David, who becomes king. And, and David has a, a prophet, much like Isaiah, and the prophet called Nathan would tell David what God's messages were. And through the prophet Nathan, God told David that firstly, I'm going to make a dwelling place through your family tree that I'm going to be at. Up until that point, the, there was a tent that would move around. He said, I'm going to make a fixed place so people can come and know where they can have their sins forgiven. Because God wants to forgive sins. He wants to make a way. So we're going to make a space for that. Also, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a home for God's people to dwell because they've been walking all over the place for a very long time, a nomadic people. Also, I'm going to make a home for yourself, the city of David. And my love is never going to leave you. Now, David made some horrific mistakes after that. But God made these promises and he kept his promises. In verse 12, he says, I will rise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one that will build my house for my name, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. This is talking about Jesus. So from Jesse, we see David, and through David's family tree, we'll end up with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament, the, the, the gospel that is written to the Israelites, the Jewish nation, we see it picks up with the, the family tree of Jesus, saying this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And if you remember last week, we saw the emojis, the, the Old Testament in emojis that Anthony had, and we saw there was that stick figure guy hanging onto a jelly bean. Um, that was Abraham. So son of Abraham, son of David. And in verse 5, we see Solomon, the son of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So we read, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and the roots of his branch will bear fruit. And so we see from Jesse, there is going to be a shoot of hope in the midst of what seems dead, in the midst of what seems finished, in the midst of what seems done. As we, as we dive into this scripture, I just want to give us something maybe to reflect on a little bit of a, a point of reference as we, we continue through the passage. 
See, sometimes when we're journeying through life, I've already started talking about cars, so I'm going to lean right into it today. I've tried not to for the last few weeks, but I'm embracing it. Um, sometimes when we, we live through life, there's, there's a lot to consider. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of things we've got to do. If you look at a car, there's a lot happening in that car. There's a lot of buttons. There's a lot of dials. There's a lot of screens. There's a lot happening. And maybe your car doesn't look like that. Maybe your car looks a little bit like this next one. Same. There's a lot happening in that car. Maybe you can relate, relate to that one a little bit more. There's a lot in that picture. There's a lot, you know, having kids is busy. But we'll go back to the nice clean car for the analogy. You see, in life, sometimes we, we get really focused on the gauges. Am, am, I, am I doing the speed limit? Am I doing the right thing? Am I sitting within the limits of what I should be doing? Am, am I, have I got energy in the tank? Is there fuel in the tank? Am I, how am I traveling? What does this look like? What, what's the reading look like? You see, the problem is if you're driving a car and you're purposefully just staring at that speed limit, making sure you're exactly doing the right speed all the time, and you're not looking where you're going, you're going to crash. One of the biggest distractions we have today is our devices. Every car now has a device. <laughs> Just if you try and change the radio station, you're playing with it, like it's all there. It's, they're distractions. They're good things, though. Your speedo's a good thing. The flashing engine light is a good warning sign that your car's about to blow up. You know, like they're good things. They're there for a purpose. They're great. But if you're continually looking at them, you're not able to fulfill the function of hopping in the car and going somewhere. They're good to look at. They're not bad in themselves, but they're not the focus. Likewise, a rear vision mirror. It's an important part of the car, a real important part. But if we keep staring at what's behind us, we're missing the point of where we're meant to be going. It's really good to look back. It's, it's good to look back for safety. It's good to look back to see what, what is behind us and see where we've come from. It's good to look back to make sure that, that, that when we are going to brake or, or make a, a change in direction, that we're not going to cause damage not going to hit the brakes, the sun's going to run into us. It's a good thing, but if you continually drive looking at the rear vision mirror, you're going to miss out on what's in front of you. And, and, and it is, once again, the rear vision mirror is a great thing. It's good to look back. We just had the communion table. The communion table in itself is both looking back and forwards. It's great to look back and remember what Jesus did because it helps us move forwards into what we're meant to be doing because of that. But sometimes people have a horrific thing happen in their past. And they keep looking back at it and find their identity in the past rather than the future. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to look back, but don't let it define where we're meant to be going. Because in a car, the biggest bit of glass is not the screen, it's not the rear vision mirror, it's the, the windscreen. It's what we're meant to be looking, we're supposed to be looking forwards to seeing what's coming up, to look for the dangers, to look for the turns, to, to see what's about to take place. And as we journey through life, we're meant to be looking, keep our eyes open. Not trying to, to get distracted by the things that may be dead in our life, the things that the distracted things that happened in our past, checking the gauges. We're meant to be moving in the right direction, moving forwards. As we read through this passage, I want you to think about where do I focus my life? Am I focused on the data? Am I worried about things, looking for the hazard lights, looking for the, the warning signs? Am I looking back at something that's happened in my past or looking at, you know, my heyday? Man, at high school, I, I peaked. I was amazing in high school. Man, I wish I could go back to there, you know, looking back rather than looking forwards. 
It can shape and define us, but we're meant to be moving forwards. Isaiah chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch that will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. Man, who needs some wisdom and understanding today? Don't we? There's so many decisions and so many things happening in the world. We need some wisdom and understanding. We're not always going to get that by looking at the gauges and looking back. We get it by looking to the living word of God and where we're meant to be going. The, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. Counsel means that there's good advice that comes with power. And might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. What does this fear of the Lord talk about? Well, firstly, sometimes, because we don't like, you know, thinking of God as like a smiteful God, you know, is, is that what we're talking about? It's like, oh, you know, if I say something wrong, there's a th- bolt of thunder is going to hit me? What's that about? That's not what it's talking about at all. What it's saying is, is that God is God and we should respect who he is. On Monday, there was a bit of a blackout across some of Ballarat. Anyone affected by that? The power went out. There's a few people. Yep, I see that hand. I couldn't on Monday because it was dark. But, but the, the, you know, the, the power went out. And as soon as the lights go out, you notice it. It's like, oh, man. Oh, yeah, you, you your food's getting hot when it should be cold, and your food's getting cold when it should be hot, and, you, and you, you know, electricity is an incredible thing. It, it, it's a powerful thing. It, it's a good thing. But if I said, go and make, sh- can you check the PowerPoint there by sticking a fork into it? Can you just check that for me? Like, no. It's like, oh, you wuss? Yeah. No, no, like, fear it. Respect electricity. It's a good thing, but we should respect it. How much more should we respect the creator of the universe? Don't poke God with a fork. Like, don't. Like, like, show respect to God. There is power, but we are to fear him because of the power that he has. Electricity is great. We depend on it. God is great. We depend on him. But don't abuse him. Don't treat him the way he shouldn't be treated. A healthy fear of the Lord is a good thing. And it says that this branch from Jesse will delight in the fear of the Lord, will know what their place is on this earth, and will respect God appropriately. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decides by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give the decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and breathe with his lips and he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. We then see that the passage in Isaiah moves to this sort of imagery of what will it be like. Like there is death, it is gone, there is this stump of Israel, there's, there's this hope, this dream that has been wiped out. What is, what is it going to be like when this branch, this, this saviour, this hope comes into the world? And imagery sort of, sometimes is, we can draw all sorts of lines around the imagery, but imagery is just that, it's to show us that, hey, it's good. Now, I know it's a beautiful day today, but if we were to summarize November in an image, it would look a little bit like this. There's a little bit of hope that hot weather's coming, right? 
There, there was a, a moment in November where I was standing on our veranda with the roof over me, getting wet, looking at blue sky. Like, what has the weather been doing over the past month? Like, it's been crazy. It's been cold. It's been wet. We, we need some hope. We need, need this image of, of just a little bit of sunlight. Oh, you know, running around the backyard trying to follow the gap in the clouds. Like, oh, come on. You know, just just trying try to get some, some light, some hope. And we see that Isaiah, the, the prophet, starts to use this imagery where he says this. The, in verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And the little child will lead them. We've got this imagery of lions and lambs and children leading them around. There is no fear in this. There is no danger in this. There is no anxiety. This is the way that it's meant to be. There is a confidence that someone as young as a child is able to, to lead something as fierce as a lion because it's the way that it's meant to be. There is a design that is being lived out. This imagery continues that the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. Bit of a shout out to the vegetarians in that one. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest and there will be neither harm, they will neither be harmed nor destroyed. And on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. You see, when we have knowledge that comes from God, we see there is a peace and an understanding and a safety and a security that just does not make sense in human terms. It doesn't make any sense. It sounds like this is just, this is not true. But when God steps in, this picture of what it is to be with this knowledge means that everything is, is back in alignment in God's design, in God's plan. It goes on to say in verse 10, in that day, now the day that is being referred to, there's two versions of the day. There's a day when God sent his plan to earth to redeem us. God sent his son, the hope of all mankind, when his son was sent to earth, he was sent to, to restore us in our relationship with God, which Jesus did on the cross. But there's also a day coming when God will come and return all those believers back to himself. So there's the first coming and the second coming. This passage speaks a little bit to both. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. What does a banner do? A banner is what they would stand on a hill and hold up a banner, and people would see it and go, right, that's where I'm meant to go. Think school sports, you know, where's my school or what house am I in? Hold up the banner, you go to that. We see the banner of Christ and we head towards that. I belong to that. The nations will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. The resting place, first coming, Jesus' master plan. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the, 
the surviving remnants of his people from Assyria and from Lower Egypt and from Upper Egypt and from Cush and from Elam and from Babylon and from Hatham and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Jesus is going to come and that first coming he's going to reign as a banner and his resting place is going to be glorious. Because he's going to restore us what is dead, he's going to bring back to life. The relationship that we had with God that we thought was dead because of the wrong things that we've done was restored through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And in that, there is glory. There is glory in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his master plan, the one story that matters most, the one story we get to be a part of. We also see that that he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to reconcile all all four quarters of the earth. We're all going to be brought back into relationship with God. And so when it comes to the things that may be dead in our life, maybe it's in our devotional life, maybe there's something dead in our relationship with God, maybe it's something dead in our prayer life, maybe something dead when we're reading Scripture, it's just not coming alive the way it once did. I want you to know that Jesus just wants to plant a seed in your heart in that space. And what is dead, he wants to bring to life. We have hope in Jesus. We have hope in Jesus. In Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, there is hope of a seed, a shoot that will come from Jesse that will restore us all. And we live 2,700 years after that, when we know it took place. There is hope in Jesus, so what is our response? What's our response to to realize, hey, there is something, I know it feels dead, but I know God can do something good in that. I know he sent Jesus. What is our response to that? Well, two things. The first, our response is that, you know, it's quite often when we journey through life, and I used the car analogy before, In that car analogy, sometimes we're looking at the data and we're looking at the the gauges and those things are good. not saying they're bad, but they're good. Sometimes we're so focused on that we miss the bigger picture. Sometimes we're so wound out looking at that rear vision mirror that we're not seeing what's ahead. Sometimes we, we can be so focused on the destination that we can actually forget to be in the moment too, looking out the front window. We're so looking forwards way too far and it's good to know where you're going. That's a good thing. It's good to have a plan. Ryland's learning how to drive, and I think it was our third, third or fourth drive in. I thought I'll take him for a bit of a trip. I'll take him out the other side of Bunningong, some back roads, that'd be really good. We're driving, I'd, I had no idea where we were going. They were just little country roads, all good. Then all of a sudden, uh, I see a sign pointing to Ballarat. Oh yeah, we well, probably should start heading back. Fourth drive in, and um, find ourselves on the Melbourne freeway, peak hour, <laughs> 110 on the way back. So it's good to have a bit of a plan of where you're gonna go, like, that's good. You know? God's word has a pretty good plan of how to, how to live, where to go. Um, but sometimes you can get so fixated on the destination that you miss out on the, the journey along the way. You see, a reaction when we, we realize that there is hope in Jesus is actually giving him control of the car. They go, hey, Jesus, I just want you to drive for a bit. I'm sick of making decisions. I keep looking at the gauges. You can look at the gauges. I want, to, I want to actually let you control. I'm sick of looking at the rear vision mirror. You can look at the rear vision mirror. I'm going to sit in the passenger seat. <sighs> Trust him. He's got a better plan. He's actually a better driver. 
And when you're in the passenger seat, all of a sudden you realise you can look around a little bit more. Hey, there's, there's windows at the side too you didn't realise existed when you're so focused on, on driving the car. Let Jesus take control. See, the idea of when we have hope in Jesus, our response is to let him control, and we just sit in a place of awe and wonder going, man, you are amazing. The lion is being led by the child. There is a better picture of what is now and what is yet to come. And ultimately, we actually see in the next, very next chapter of Isaiah, chapter 12, the whole response is this. It says, In that day... I will say, I will praise you, Lord. And the entirety of chapter 12 goes on to worship God. Our response to allowing God to plant a seed in our heart, a seed of hope through Jesus Christ, is worship. Our response is worship. So I want to ask you, what seeds is God planting in your life? What seed is God planted in your life? It could be a seed from a time way, way back where you thought, yes. I know God planted it, but I just don't know how it's going to take place. And maybe a seed from a time where, where you knew God was really clear, but you've given up on that and that's dead. And maybe a seed that, like, how could God possibly forgive me? Because I did that. Everything I touch turns to black. Everything I touch just is just toxic. It's, it's bad. It's like the, the ash from a tree. What seed has God planted in your heart? Because you may think, I'm, it is dead, it's done. Like I, like, I know you're saying that, Tim, but there's not, no possible way that can come true. You see, sometimes when we look at the Old Testament, we forget that the Old Testament words were lived out in Jesus' actions. And Jesus chose to show the power of a loving God. When Jesus himself, the hope for humanity, the saviour, the Messiah, proving himself time and time again to the disciples and those around those that believed and didn't believe, then died on a cross. It is finished. It is over. It is done. Yet three days later, he rose from the grave. If you, can't th- if you don't think God can, can raise something that he once planted in your heart that you've let to, let to rest... He raised the dead. He, he has the, the same power that rose Jesus is the same power that, that planted that seed in your heart in the first place, that wants to restore your relationship, wants, wants to, to bring redemption to that thing that you once laid down. I've got two stories. The, the first story was, was about 20 years ago. And... I was a kids pastor here at Yorkie, and Nick Buscombe and I would get up every Sunday and um, pretty much have the time of our lives unscripted and unorganized, and the kids loved it. <laughs> um, and it was pretty awesome. And, and it, was, it was during that time that, that God, I didn't know the words for it, but there was this holy discontent. I love the church. Always have, always will. Loved York Street. Always have, always will. And God gave me a picture, a vision of what York Street could be. And I remember there was this time when I was I got this discontent. I, I love the church. I love the people. But God, you are stirring something in me and calling me to something. I don't know what that is. And I remember the very last message that I preached here before we left 
to do a season of ministry in Sydney about this aisle and what this aisle represented. And I remember as I walked down that aisle for the last time, it was like God had given me this vision for this church here and I had to lay it down because I was going somewhere else. And I was about 18 months into the ministry in Sydney and I realized I have to let that vision die because I am 100% planted somewhere else and I'm loving a different congregation as much as I love the church here. I'm pouring everything I've got into this, this little suburban church in the suburbs in Sydney. You fast forward a bunch of years and I was sitting in one of our early staff retreats and, and I'm, I'm doing what you do as a leader. What do you guys think? I, I've got a bit of an idea, a bit of an agenda, and I'm trying to get everyone to agree with my agenda, right? That's what you do. And, and we're having these conversations, and all of a sudden, Colette, who was there at the time, started speaking some stuff out. And this vision, this dream for York Street that was dead and buried, all of a sudden, there was this shoot, and it didn't take long for it to grow. And I felt like God said, now's the time. It's like, what? This is a vision that's like 15 years old. It took 15 years to, to get the training, which to take me to Sydney, drag my family, a beautiful wife, amazing two kids. We came back with another. It was good. Like, it was, Sydney was great. Yeah, some good stuff happened. We gained a kid. Um, like we, had, we didn't. It was our kid. Stop digging. <laughs> but something that I thought was dead, and I knew it was God that gave me the vision, but I had to let it go. It was brought to life. And we get to be experienced. You know, guys that are watching online, this is part of the vision. 20 years ago, like who'd have thought I'd be staring into a camera or a camera or a camera or a camera? The techies in the back room are going, ah! <laughs> The second thing that, that happened to us as a church was um, in 2019, we, we sat as a, an eldership and a leadership and designed uh, with God's grace and God's, you know, seeking God with all that we had, the, the vision for York Street. What's this season of God's church look like in this place? What does that look like? We don't want it to be our agenda, we want it to be God's. And we're sitting in Scripture and we're praying and we're wrestling. And What's our core values? All 32 of them, they're memorable. Yeah, you know, like we're trying to work out what does this look like? And at the start of 29, at the end of 2019, we came together and God was just so gracious. Everything just landed and it was, we just such a peace that God was in this and this is the direction for the year. In 2020, we launched this vision series to the church I remember getting up, I was so passionate, like, come on, church, this is where we're going. You know, and we, we, we're standing together, and we're kneeling together, we're praying together, we're heading in this direction, it's going to be great. And part of the vision series is we're not satisfied, it's our core value, we're not satisfied with the ordinary. We think and act outside the box, because we don't want to limit what God wants to do, what God wants to do by be looking in the rear vision mirror the whole time. We want to be open to where God wants us to go. We want to be led by his spirit. So we're not satisfied with the ordinary. We think and act outside the box. I preached that message into an iPhone that was sitting about there. That was really outside the box. <laughs> that was not what I expected to be doing. I remember halfway through that year, going, it felt like I need to revisit 
the vision that God had given us for this church, the, the team, when I say us, like the, the elders and the leadership, myself. And I remember feeling so afraid to, to look at these cool, these cool values and, and the, the, actions, the action points. We're going to do this and this and this and this. Because what if we got it wrong? What if we heard wrong from God? If we got that wrong, does that mean we got other stuff wrong? Does that mean it was our agenda and not God's agenda? COVID was in full swing. We were locked down. How on earth do you start a new small group in a lockdown? How do you, how do, you do these things that we're going to do in, in a lockdown? You, you, there's no way. And I remember just going, I don't want to look at it, God. That's pretty disobedient. I was busy too, but I was disobedient because I didn't want to. It was September of that year that I did a retreat, and it took me under 20 minutes to sit with that list. And God said, you know how you thought it was going to happen this way? Well, I did it a better way tick. You know how you're going to start a small group? You know, what, what did you think that was going to be, like 10, 15 people? Try a, an online small group of over 100. Tick. What? Tick. 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 All these things that I thought were dead and buried and, and, and in my disobedience didn't have the faith to trust God with it because I tried to do it myself. God just, there was a shoot that grew up. God is faithful. Well, you know, there's times when we, we may be afraid to, to face the things we think are dead, but God has a plan, and it's a better plan than ours. If God has planted a seed in your heart, I don't care how long it is, it took 15 years for him to bring the seed that he planted in my heart to fruition for, for this church. And I say, we do it together. We're going to make mistakes. We're still human, but God is good. I want you to know that he wants to plant a seed once again in your heart. He wants to germinate. If he did it with Israel, if he did it with us through Jesus on the cross, he can do it today. I'm going to get everyone just to close their eyes just for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself this question in your heart of hearts and just sit with it for a moment. The question is this, what seeds has God planted in your life? What seeds has God planted in your life? We're going to allow some space to let the Holy Spirit speak into that. Dear Heavenly Father, from the stump that thing that feels dead, that thing thing that feels burnt. Lord, we pray that you would pour your love and your kindness, your joy, your mercy, your peace, your power and your promises into that seed so it may germinate into what you want it to be. Lord, for some of us, we've laid down hopes and dreams knowing that they've come from you. Lord, we pray that the God of hope would awaken that once again and that you would have your way in us. Maybe not the way that we pictured it, but we know when it's your way, it's a better way anyway. Lord, for those that may feel that Their past has limited their capacity to connect with you. 
Lord, I pray that they can move into the passenger seat because you sent your son to conquer that. He conquered death. He conquered sin. And he wants to bring life where there is death once again. For those that have a relationship that needs to be restored, Lord, we pray that there would be seeds that come from the fruits of the Spirit. There would be seeds that would germinate into patience and kindness and, and forgiveness. And that those seeds would bear fruit that would bear fruit that would bear fruit. Lord, we realize that we don't do this under our own strength. We only do this through the power of our loving Savior. We invite him to have his way in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing our last song, Anthony last week did this awesome message, mate. You're really gifted. Good wedding, too. Um... And there was this, this imagery of this coal that was taken from the sacrificial, the, 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 the place where the sacrifices were, and then the coal touched someone's lips. Remember that? That's like weird imagery, right? It's kind of like, what? And, and when the, the, the coal touched the lips, they were made pure again. See, sometimes we, we think we've got to do the work. What we forget is, if that coal came from the altar of forgiveness, there's power in the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. And when that coal touches us, it doesn't suck up all of the forgiveness into itself. Its power drives out the stuff from us. There is power in the cross. And when Jesus touches us, that power pushes out the, the, the death. It brings life to the death. It doesn't take life, suck the life out of the dead. It breathes life in. And this morning, I want to know that God wants to breathe life into you. If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe, and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.